The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 261, premium for Thursday, May 13th, 2010. Observers, Matt Kikab, hailing from Durham, New Hampshire. I am Dave Hamilton. On, um, this, on this beautiful Thursday afternoon, where we yeah, get to not, sit inside and look at the nice weather outside. No, it is nice. It's not hailing here, though. This is John F. Braun at Fairfield, Connecticut. And uh, I almost had to send up the hails last night. I'm going to hijack things a little bit here. I, I, oh, I think. Boy. Yeah, I know. Um. We, uh, where am I going to go with this? Okay. So I've had four hours of sleep. I'll start with that and then I'll explain why. And, uh, and maybe that'll give me a a little bit of a pass as to being a little slightly incoherent. Uh, not that that really is the reason, but anyway, last night it was about midnight and I wasn't quite ready to go to sleep. You know, so I said to Lisa, I said, "Ah, you know, I think I'm going to bounce over to the office and I'm going to do prep the podcast now. You know, instead of doing it in the uh, in the morning because I'm awake and, you know, my mind's kind of moving. So I'll do that. So I get over here and throughout the day leading up to that, I'd been having a lot of conversations about the firmware and my router and firmware and other people's routers and stuff. So it was on my mind. And uh, and so I thought, you know, it's midnight. This is a good time to do a firmware update. The, the last time I did a firmware update on my router was like July of last year. And I try to do it, you know, maybe once or twice a year to keep up to date. And again, I, you know, I, as I mentioned many times, I use that dd-wrt.com uh, firmware. So, um, so, you know, and every time I've done it, I don't, I don't follow the directions. Okay. And, and this is why I, I got four hours of sleep. Uh, oh, well, that's bad because especially from what I recall with some of the, Newer um, Linksys that have uh, limited resources. Not mine. I, I don't buy that okay, crap. You don't man. have one of those. Nope. Well, no, because they had some where they yeah. had to change the uh, procedure. And I remember doing this once, and they they had an explicit warning: if you mess this up anywhere, you bricked it. It's done. That's right. That's right. And that's still the case. It's just not because of limited resources, right? You know. Uh, yeah, I think my router's got thirty-two megs of. Flash RAM and eight megs of okay. ROM or something. So you don't have that 20. particular problem. Because no. I remember I was very nervous when I tried that once because I had one of the really constrained ones that, that didn't have enough resources to do it in one fell swoop. You had to do like a multi-step thing. And, uh, and you still, in theory, you still do. Uh, but, but, but so here's the deal. So I'm already on the DDWRT firmware. It's getting to it that's sort of the tenuous process, right? But once you're there, upgrades are pretty straightforward, except they say... Uh, that, you know, what you should do is reset your router to factory defaults, then upload the new firmware, then reset your router to factory defaults again, and then go ahead and program it. And I've never done this. And the reason I've never done this is because it's a pain in the neck, right? you got to, my router is, is configured six ways from Sunday and I do all sorts of, you know, static mappings and port forwardings. And it's just set up just so I have my VPN and I like it, Right. And I realize I should use and follow my own advice that, it, you know, don't mm-hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, but, you know, again, it had been almost a year. I thought, well, I should I should get up to date on this. Maybe they have put some new things in. Maybe it's better. So I uh, so what I've always done is I just upload the new firmware and assume it's going to inherit my old settings and everything's going to be hunky dory. So I did back up my settings, uh, you know, off to a drive. 
And I proceeded to, you know, blast the firmware at the router and it took it and it rebooted and it came up and I'm watching the lights and then it rebooted and I came up and I'm watching the lights and it rebooted and it rebooted and it rebooted <laughs> like, oh, this isn't good. So I spent a lot of time. I spent about two, two and a half hours jerking around with this thing. Uh, I thought it was bricked because I kept you can and I'm not going to get too geeky into it um, here, but. But uh, if you can't get the web interface to come up with, which obviously I couldn't, all the Linksys routers, uh, the first within the, about the first 10 seconds, they respond on IP address 192.168.1.1 for about four seconds. And this is built so that you can use a, a protocol called TFTP to blast firmware at the router. And uh, and so I tried that a couple of times and then finally I, I downloaded I, I used the uh, the the you know, I, I hooked up to my Internet connection in a different way and I downloaded the Linksys firmware and I blasted that over TFTP. And, and then I got it to come up. And what I realized was even if I went back to the firmware version that I was using mere hours prior, uh, as soon as I loaded my settings on there, it would it would you know go into this endless uh, reboot cycle. So now I'm, I'm stuck, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. I still haven't prepped the podcast and now I have a router that's fully functional and fully accessible and with the firmware I want on there, but, uh, none of my settings. And so I did what any smart geek would do. I went to my backup router, which I keep completely configured, ready to go, sitting right next to the one that I use. And I plugged that in and, uh, that's what we're running on right now. So I, I haven't messed with it yet. And, uh, you know, so I've just got to go through and reconfigure the whole thing. Now, there's a reason that I have not reconfigured this, John. And, and there is a point to this story if there hasn't been one already. This DDWRT firmware is really cool and we've talked about it a lot. But every time we talk about it, uh, you know, we warn about exactly what I just described. Right. This this process that can be a real bear. And, and even I mean, I'm fairly comfortable at the terminal, but it's like. All right. I got to hold my mouth just right. I got to, you know, stand on one leg and make sure the wind's blowing the right direction and blast this thing. And, you know, nobody wants to have to go through that. The people at Buffalo, uh, and this is part of why I was thinking about it, because I was emailing back and forth with them yesterday. The people at Buffalo know this, too. And they also know that you want to put this firmware on your router without, you know, voiding your warranty or, or whatever. So they actually they're shipping three different routers. I don't know if they're shipping quite yet. But uh, but they're coming out very soon if they aren't shipping now. Uh, they're shipping three routers that pre-installed include this DDWRT firmware. So we're going to check those out as soon as they're available and, uh, and we'll report back. So that's uh, it could be a good thing for all of you that want to do funky things with your routers and VPN for, you know, on a hundred dollar router or whatever it is. I don't know pricing on the Buffalo stuff, but my guess is it's, you know, it's in the range of that consumer consumer router stuff. So should be pretty cool. That the that they're shipping routers with that you don't have to go through the process that uh, that I went through. So there you Alrighty. go. Alrighty, yeah, that's good, right? Well, you got it working, yes. Well, yeah, it's sort of. I, I still have to program it. It's such a bear to do. But you know, that's how it goes. Should we answer some questions, or should I continue to? Why not? To ramble on. I got some more toys this week, but we'll talk about those in a little bit. Uh, first up. Jim, Jim writes at work. I use an airport express to create a wireless network for my Apple devices. I don't broadcast the SSID because my iPad and iPhone can always find the network and connect automatically. 
but not so with my MacBook Pro operating on the latest version of Leopard. Every time I join the network manually, I click the remember this network option and the network does show up in my listing of remembered networks and system preferences, but I never join that network automatically. For all the other networks in my system preference network listing, it works fine. I turn on airport and in a minute or so I'm cooking the gas. Is there some way to teach my slow to learn MacBook Pro to please remember this network where the hidden SSID and join immediately? All right. Uh, you want to take this one for a little bit, John? I'll I'll give two things. So one, I, I just as a place to start and the, just to review how I usually set up my system or at least my portable. Yep. One thing that comes to mind, though I don't, it couldn't hurt. But when you're in the network uh, system preference or control panel or whatever you want to call it, yep. um, there is a way that you can um, d- uh, do what's called set service order. Normally, what you're going to see is all of the interfaces uh, or most of the interfaces that you have defined in that machine, which could be airport, Ethernet, maybe Firewire, some other things. There is a way to change the order or the priority of which one you know, uh, is, is uh, tried first before the system falls back and tries something else. So, so we're uh, not talking, it, it, and I know you you were clear about this, but I'm just going to be doubly clear. We're not yet talking about it selecting airport networks. We're talking about one step removed from that. We're, we're, we're talking about which interface, be it Ethernet, airport, or USB, Firewire, et cetera, that we're going to use to to talk over the network, correct? Right. Okay. So what I do is, uh, and this, you, you can set these up. It's actually a locations. Um, I guess they call it location manager. What you can do is, is define multiple locations, and each one of those uh, can represent one or more of the interfaces. Um, so usually, so what I do is I'll have one called wireless, and that's, and all I have active is the airport. Everything else is inactive or turned off because I want to, I don't want, this situation to even arise where it even tries another interface. Cause I know I'm not going to be using it. Hmm. Um, that's just the way I do it. And I find it eliminates problems. And I have another one called wired where if I plug into the ethernet port, then everything else is disabled. So one thing he may want to do is when you click on an interface and you go to, I think it's the tools menu, the little gear menu, something will come down and say set service order. And then you get a menu and it shows you all the interfaces and it shows, you know, the one at the top is the one that it tries first. And then, it tries the others. I would drag airport to the top just as a start here and maybe disable the others. Okay. Maybe, uh, it sure. couldn't hurt. I, it's I don't not going it to hurt. hurt. I agree with you. Yep. I agree with you. Then I think the second place to go, Dave, and I think this is where both of us thought that the, the problem has to be somewhere is that if you do have airport um, active and you bring that up, uh, and I think you clicked on the advanced tab. Let me just bring this up on this other machine here. So you go to network. You have system, the system preferences, network, and then click on the interface, airport, right? And then you go to advanced. Okay. And the first sub-tab there is going to be a list of preferred networks. Now, uh, from what he's saying, his should be there, but that this also has a similar concept, is that whatever is at the top, and you may notice, at least looking at my screen here, it says drag networks in the order you prefer. Well, I would say put that one that he wants at the very top. So drag it to the top. I'm suspecting what may be happening is if there are other ones there, it's wasting time trying to get on those. That's possible. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you, if the top checkbox, I think it's the top checkbox on leopard as well, which is 
uh, name to remember networks this computer has joined. If that's checked, any network you connect to is automatically going to populate uh, this list. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what I would do is in that same list, I would remove everything, including the name of the network that you're trying to, to connect to. I wipe Ooh. that list out. Right. OK. Uh, uncheck the remember networks this computer has joined and then hit OK and uh, and, and, you know, save that setting. What we're trying to do, it's possible that, you know, there's, there's something funky in this list that's causing you issues. So let's wipe the list out and start from scratch. So, you know, then go and select this network. Now you're going to because the uh, network SSID is not being broadcast. You've got to type it in like you like you always have, Jim. So you're going to type that in. And then at this point, I would say, remember this network. Uh, so it should add it to this list, but we've unchecked the box that says to remember everything. And hopefully that'll keep the list from getting, you know, overly convoluted. If you wind up traveling a lot, you know, you might find that you've got hotel stuff, you know, H honors and all that stuff just littered in there in your list. And and John, you, you, you might be heading down the right path here. You know, I, I've never seen that cause issues, but then again, uh, up until updating, I, I just updated my wife's laptop to 1063 this morning. She was having trouble seeing our five gigahertz network in the house. It, it, the, it, the SSID is broadcast. Everything is as it should be. All the other devices in the house see it. It would not show up in her list anywhere. Uh, so, you know, it's something funky going on. So clearing that stuff out, uh, like I said, I updated her to 1063 and, and things seem to be okay. We'll see if the, we'll see how it is in a couple of days. But uh, but there could be something in that list that's just, you know, just causing issues. So I'd I'd, I'd wipe it out and then and then put it back in and, and see what happens. That's that's mm-hmm. my thought. I, I, I uh, Go ahead, John. You, you have more more to say. No, I'm OK. Uh, I think between. Yeah. Between the two of us. I mean, something there has to work. It has to. <laughs> By, by definition, right? I hope. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go look for it here. But but there's a. Um, uh, there's a, a P list file that um, I think it's called. Hmm, I forget which there, there is a P list file in file in library preferences that stores all of these, uh, all of these airport names. And I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. Do you know, John, I did not, I did not no. research this. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, actually it might not be in home library preferences. It might be, in the top level library preferences. But, well, you but know, one, one other thought. Yep. Uh, however unlikely. So he said this is in the workplace and, and I believe he said it does not publish its SSID. Right. There may. Uh, what I'm going to suggest is just simple. Change the name of the base. See if this behavior changes. Uh, I'm that- thinking there may be a remote, remote chance that maybe somewhere there is one with the same name or well, no, it would have to be the same name. Actually, that, that might, it's possible. Like you just, said, remote chance, but certainly just, possible. Just yep. a variable, you know, change the name slightly. I mean, most Apple things are ready when you start them up, you know, have a unique name. It's usually, you know, Apple airport and then the Mac address or something, mm-hmm. or at least the ones that I see in the neighborhood, which looks like, you know, people just basically pulled it out of the box and plugged it in. So yep. uh, change the, other- the name, maybe, maybe there's a, a conflict that you don't know about or somebody's playing a trick on you i don't know what i the, another thing i would do uh, along the lines of changing variables is run something like air radar that uh that's a, or, or uh or what's the other one i stumbler right john uh 
And I, I stumble is free, so maybe that's a better one to run. So go and run that. And that should show you all of the airport networks that exist, even if they don't. I believe it'll show you them, even if their SSID is not being broadcast. Uh, and it won't show you their SSID, but it'll show you that there is a network there and it exists mm. on a certain channel. It's possible that your airport base station is on a very cluttered channel. The antenna mm. in your MacBook Pro is much more sensitive and can pick up networks from further away than your iPhone or your iPad can. So what could be happening is you might, let's say your, your base station, your airport extreme is on channel six, right? There could be five other networks on channel six that aren't really interfering too bad with your iPad and iPhone, but really confusing the heck out of your MacBook pro. So it's possible that, you know, you might need to change that channel. And what you want to do is pick uh, with, um, with, with an airport extreme, what, what, what are you using here? An airport express. So you're only on, you're talking about channels one through 11 on that. Uh, you want to be as far away from the other uh, networks as you can. So if they're mostly at six, you want to be at one or 11. If they're mostly at one, you want to be at 11, right? You want to mm -hmm. get, you know, one end or the other as far away, or if they're all at the ends, if they're at one and 11, then you do want to be at six right in the middle. So, uh, so that, you know, that would be another, another variable. Like, like you said, John, don't change all the variables at once though. Change one no, 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 test, no. you know, <laughs> otherwise you drive yourself crazy. <laughs> yeah. As a, yeah, as a general tip. Yeah. The, never change more than one variable because then if you, if you solve the problem, you may not know what exactly you did. Now it's interesting. On the other hand, if you want to solve the problem quickly, you could change all the variables and hope you just get lucky, but I don't think I'd recommend that. <laughs> So, I, you know, I had separated our, our questions out into uh, quick ones and then esoteric ones. And clearly I got it wrong because uh, we are still in the in fact, we're at the beginning of the quick ones thing. And I'm about to take us down a little tangent here. John, you mentioned something that I think is interesting and, and I think is worth exploring. You said that you create different network or different locations or different network profiles, right? Probably a better mm -hmm. word for it. Locations is sort of a holdover from OS 9 that Apple's still using. Yeah, but, that's uh, just what they that's what they call it. it. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I don't like it either. I think it should be. Yeah. Like you said, configuration because location. I mean, I'm in the same location. Right. When I'm doing wired or wireless. I'm, I'm in my house. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a poorly worded. But anyways, go on. But yeah. So you're, you're creating different network configurations based on your needs at the time. I used to do that. Uh, and then now have have actually simplified it. So I am on automatic 100 percent of the time meaning that my computer never I never change my network configuration no matter where I go. And uh, and I use it and we've talked about it before and I think we're going to talk about it again. But I use uh, static IP mapping locally here that I set on my router so that uh, and you can do that with airport routers as well. We talked about it in a previous show. And uh, and that way, my IP address when I'm at home is always the same. But I don't have to think about changing my connection either when I leave or when I come back. I don't have to change my my location or profile uh, to to accommodate that. And I just have it prioritized so that Ethernet is prioritized over airport, uh, because if I'm plugged into Ethernet, chances are that's going to be faster than airport. And it works out. It tends to work out fairly well. But uh, but you, you use a whole different you use a, in fact, a, you know, a complete opposite approach with where you're hyper managing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, what, 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 I don't, I don't even have to ask what made you decide to do that. It's just cause that's who you are. So I mean, it, it's cool. It 
it it it eliminates uh, in my mind it eliminates the potential for conflicts yep because i'm forcing it to do what i want right now last night i was actually doing something interesting i did create a new profile when i was mucking with this router you know i set up the the backup router uh, so that i could get on the network and i ha- i was connecting to that over airport and then i had my ethernet cable plugged into the router that i was working with um and because they're set up on different subnets, I was able, I told it, I said, okay, airport, that's the priority. That's the one at the top of the list. When you're trying to get out on the internet, use that. Cause that I knew was connected to my uh, working router. And then ethernet was number two. And I had assigned a manual IP address there and I ran the cable. So I could talk to the new router at the same time as being on the internet via the old router. Uh, and you know, and, and, uh, figuring out what I needed to do, which was actually pretty cool. So it gets, gets a little convoluted, but the Mac is smart enough to talk over two different network segments at the same time. Uh, But it it will prioritize them based on how you have in that list in terms of when it needs to go elsewhere. What, which one is it going to go to first? Anyway, Doug. Why not? All right. Doug writes, it seems as though time machine will not back up a boot camp partition. And I would like to back it up to an external drive. After some checking, I found a program called WinClone that can be used to back up a bootcamp partition to an external drive. Is this the best way to go? All right. John? Um, I don't know if it's the best way, but it's certainly not the only way. And, um, you know, there's another option, which I actually didn't um, didn't really expect to work because uh, I haven't really used it for this. But you... Um, you know, while reading uh, your prep, Dave, I actually thought, huh, you know, let, let me let's try that. And I actually went through an exercise where I took something that was NTFS or both NTFS and FAT32 formatted. And if you know where to go, it, it's not, I would say, uh, instinctual how to do this, but our pal disk utility. Now, you would think disk utility is only limited to doing stuff with Mac disks, and that is not the case. As long as the Mac can see it. And what will happen is when you start up this utility, you'll see a list of all of the drives and the partitions uh, uh, on uh, connected to your machine. Well, hey, if you highlight one of those and then you go to, uh, let me get this right here. Is it file, yep. save to image? Uh, file, new image from, I believe. I'm sorry. Okay. And usually there are two choices. One, it'll say, I think, new image from, and it'll be the top level um, you know, drive or whatever, and then it may have a, a subsetting uh, for one of the partitions. Let me just bring this up real quick and make sure I get it right. All right, so here on my machine, if I go to file, yes, well, it has it has a couple of choices. So if you highlight uh, our partition or drive or whatever, you go to file menu, you will see new, and then you will see new disk image from. Now, in this case here, for example, I have Macintosh HD. Uh, highlighted. It says disk image from Macintosh HD. Oh, that sounds good. There's also disk image from folder. So I guess you can do a more fine grain thing. Yep. But whatever drive or partition you click on, um, you say disk image from, and it'll write it out to a DMG file, which I, I, I didn't expect that. I thought DMGs were pretty much, you know, a, a, a Mac specific thing. Yeah, I guess it, it doesn't care what the format is uh, inside that disk image, which is actually pretty cool. No, and I tried it. I tried to back it up. I, I made a disk image. I mounted it, and all the files were there, even the you know exe files and all that stuff. So um, cool. 
So that is certainly one option, and and it's free. But looking at this other program, Dave. Um, yeah, Win Win Clone is 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 essentially a a it's a single focus program, right? It it has it has one purpose and one purpose only, essentially, uh, and that is to do this backup and. The user interface is tailored for just this, whereas disk utility obviously can do lots of things. So you've got to know the path to take, as John was saying. It's, a, you know, it's not entirely obvious, but it's not too difficult. With WinClone, you launch the program. It's one interface. From a dropdown, you pick the uh, partition that you want to back up. You type a little description for it and you hit image and boom, off it goes. It'll do some other things, too, but its main purpose is to do this backing up. So, uh you know, they're both free. Disk utility is already on your Mac, so you don't need to worry about it. Uh, WinClone is free, and they, they accept donations from satisfied users. So. Off to Michael? Ah, that was a short one. Yeah, well, that's what it was supposed There's to be. Not a, not see, a lot of see the section that we're in here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Michael says, can I retrieve browsing history from a time machine backup for Safari or for Firefox? Someone deleted my history, and now I'd like to have it back. So, uh, you want to tell them where to go for uh, for Safari, John? Huh? I can tell them. You've got it. Uh, I was thinking. I was thinking of something different here. Okay. Uh, I, I was. I was trying to think of the dynamics behind this. Why? Um, oh. why, why someone would delete <laughs> your history on you? Um, but anyways, you had it here, uh, Dave. Yeah. yeah, I got it in front of me too. But go ahead. Uh, I guess where were you? You would look so. Hopefully you got, you know, our pal time capsule or something, but it's in your home directory slash library slash Safari surprise. And um, there's something called history. Yep. And then you say here possibly. So so it's going to be one or more files that begin with history. I guess history.plist is one of them. And then you found one here. Okay. Huh. Yeah, there's a hist history index.sk. Uh I, I'm not, you, you may want to restore both of them. I'm not sure how the, how the Mac operates it it may treat history as a database and it might index it to make it uh you know quicker to access i don't i don't know i mean it's a plist file so it could it could do anything with the data that it pulls in from it so i'm looking right now i would say uh, i just opened safari my machine but i'm looking at both of these files yeah and they both have the same time and date stamp okay so so i'd, I'd say yeah you you, you uh you, you better grab both of those yep yep and in Firefox, uh, it's actually interesting. I'm I'm not entirely sure where it's storing its history. I you know I assumed that it was in Firefox stores everything uh, in Home, Library, Application Support, Firefox, and then inside there, there's a Profiles folder, and in there you'll have one or more folders that'll kind of be gobbledygook. There'll be one that ends in dot default. And that in theory is the, uh, is the one that launches when you have, uh, when you start up Firefox. So oh. in there, you'll see that there's bookmark files. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking here, but I'm not seeing an obvious history. I, I see one. You do history dot that. Well, isn't that interesting? I don't have a history.dat there. What uh, hmm. what version of I, and that's what I expected to see. But uh, what version of Firefox? I'm oh on this machine. I have a very old version of Firefox. I have three point oh point one four. So perhaps that has changed. Oh, it could have. Well, this is the one on my uh, Leopard machine. Uh, it's Firefox three point six. Yeah, it's and you've got a history.dat there. 
Yes, sir. Yeah, I'd I'd uh, I'd believe that that's what uh, that's what you're looking for. So, yep. It might. I have something called Places dot SQL Light uh, that was updated recently uh, in, Fire, uh, in my Firefox I folder. I see that too. Actually, uh, my history dot dat file hasn't been touched for a while. But ah, uh, hmm. so it might be Places dot SQL Light as your uh, as your history file there. So there you uh, there you go. That's that's Firefox. It's got to be one of those. So, I, you know, if you see a history dot pull it back. If you see places dot light, pull that back too. I think that'll I think that'll do it. Mm-hmm. That would that would be my that would be my first guess. Hence, hence it being my uh, my first mention. All right. Off to off to David. You know, we were talking on a previous show mm-hmm. about uh, we had someone who got a new MacBook Pro for uh, I think I think his his wife or his girlfriend or someone, uh, and there was an issue with the keyboard having changed and there no longer being an enter key uh, within easy reach of the spacebar there, sort of at the bottom of the keyboard. And David writes uh, regarding the listener who wants to remap an alt key to be an enter key. I did a similar fix with the plus minus slash. Pound, I think that's a pound sign, right? Key to make it a pound, uh, a, 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 a hash mark. Sorry. Uh, and he posted a blog entry and, and we'll link to that. So thank you, David. What, essentially what he did was using a piece of software called ukulele. He created a custom uh, keyboard map. Oftentimes, you know, we all, most of us are going to use the keyboard map that's loaded by default on our computers, which which is selected by the language that we chose. So if you choose English, you get one keyboard map. If you choose Chinese, you get a different keyboard map, Japanese, etc. So, but what this ukulele does is it allows you to create your own keyboard map. And I believe it starts with whatever your default is, but then you can customize from there. It, it actually looks pretty scary to me, but, uh, but, it, but the user interface isn't scary. It's just the concept of changing the keyboard map is, is the scary part, but it, it looks to do it very, very slickly actually. Slicker than a mouse's ear, I like to say. But uh, but so you can check out ukulele and, and also David's instructions on what he did. But uh, but it's pretty straightforward once you fire up ukulele. And I believe ukulele is available for free. So we'll 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 put links to all that good stuff out there for you. Do you have anything to add, John? Um, uh, they cover it, but, uh, you know, this is the stuff that you would see. Well, you and I were, were looking and it's it's named a little differently. But, you know, this is buried in the system preferences somewhere. Um, either oh, international that's right. or language, uh, you, you, you'll see some of these. Um, but as you pointed out, Dave, I, uh, you know, I'm looking where they say they should be either library keyboard layouts or home library keyboard layouts. And I don't see any, maybe because I don't have any to find. Well, you may not have any custom ones to find. Yeah, that's right. Because my guess because, is the ones built uh, into the system are in system library uh, keyboard layouts. And in fact, there is there's Apple keyboard layouts dot bundle there. Presumably that's got uh, that's got all the default ones in it that, you know, that that's kind of the uh, it, it, as a sort of a meta conversation, the uh, you know, there's 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 your home folder. Then there's the main the home library folder. Then there's the 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 library folder on the root of the hard drive. And then there's a library folder inside the system folder. In general, uh, the stuff that's in the system library folder, that's stuff that is installed by Mac OS 10 as part of the base install. And you typically don't want to muck with that. The stuff in the library folder at the root of the hard drive, 
is things that sometimes it's installed by OS 10, but it's also stuff that's installed by third party software that's supposed to be system wide. And then uh, in your home folder in the library folder is the stuff that's only specific to your actual user. So if there's multiple users on the machine, they won't see uh, any of the stuff that you've installed in, in your library folder. That's that's sort of the, the deal. So stay away from the system library folder in, in terms of removing things or changing things. If you want to add stuff at it in one of the other two. Yeah, is that, I think that's right, John. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we move on to Roland, uh, there's something I've been wanting to mention. Uh, we in the past have have uh, for the past several years have done a deal with hotels for the various trade shows that we go uh, to out in San Francisco, Macworld Expo and, and WWDC being the, the major ones. This time we've we, and we've worked with the Milano in the past and they've been great there and they're still great. But what's not great there is their Internet access. And frankly, it's gotten it seems like it's gotten worse. Uh, I think what's happened is the demands of all of us have gone up uh, where, you know, it used to be that email was enough. Now, you know, we want to get our images and we want to be able to go to the New York Times website and actually see a video or go to YouTube and see a video. And, uh, you know, when you've got too many people doing that and then one guy unbeknownst to him is downloading, you know, every episode of lost or something uh, to through iTunes, the network falls apart because in most hotels and certainly at the Milano uh, at this point anyway, or at least for Macworld, they may have fixed it since then, but I haven't heard anything from them about it. Uh, you know, it's basically, they've got a Linksys router like we have at home. Right. And I don't know if it's Linksys, but it's mm-hmm. the same sort of deal. And there's no real intelligent uh, traffic management. Well, we have uh, kind of well, we've definitely we've cut a deal with the uh, with the Intercontinental, which is the hotel right across from Moscone West there. And they have they're a new hotel. They're only a, maybe a little over a year old. But six months in, they decided we have decent bandwidth here, but we have this problem where if one person wants to, they can eat it all up. And so they spent a bunch of money and sort of redid all of their technology there and uh and now they've got the bandwidth compartmentalized. It's smart enough. It sort of intelligently remaps depending on how much is being used and, and chunks it out so that uh, if, if not a lot's being used, you can use most of it. Uh, if lots being used, you, know, you get your own chunk, but you can't overly infringe on other people. And regardless, uh, in theory, anyway, it's uh, it's going to be fast and and snappy no matter how many people are, are, are there. So, uh, so that's the theory and we're doing an experiment for WWDC. Uh, John Martellaro and I are both staying there and we invite all of you to stay there because of a deal that they have with the convention center for this particular trade show. They weren't able to offer us a discount on the rooms. So you've got to book the rooms through, you know, WWDC. But if you've already booked your room there, whether you booked it there through them or, or however, uh, once you get a room booked, let us know. And we've got to, we'll put a link to an article and you can get free internet access uh, on, uh, you know, on us and on them. So it saves you 10 bucks a day. So if you're there for four or five days, you know, that's uh, that's an extra dinner. Right. Uh, but let us know and we'll we'll send it through and you get free internet and then just let us. And then after the fact, come back and, and even publicly on the on the article there, let everybody know, you know, what it was like. And and uh, and if it worked out well, well, we might work with them in the future. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. So it's the it's at the Intercontinental. So we'll put a link. Ready to move on to Roland? Ready. Are you sure you're ready, John? No. Okay. Of course I'm ready. Good. Uh, Roland says, 
I'm curious about a number of things that I've heard both of you make mention of throughout the shows. They are VPN, SSH, AFP, FTP, and I'm sure there are others. What I've gauged is that these are different ways to access other computers remotely, but I could be way off base. What are these different protocols? Why would you use one over the other? Now that I own an iPhone, an iPad, and a MacBook, remote access to my home and work computers, whether I'm connected to my home or work network far, far away, is something I'm interested in. I'm also very likely to replace my wife's PC with an iMac sometime in the future. I've seen apps like, apps like LogMeIn and such. Are these apps that make these protocols easier to use for the non-tech savvy user? Any info or leads on the subject would be fantastic. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about these these acronyms. And then once we're done with these acronyms and answering Roland's question, we can uh, we will talk about some of the other acronyms that, that we that we drop pretty regularly here. Uh, and, and just explain them very briefly. So let's let's start with these four. So we've got VPN, SSH, AFP and FTP. Uh, John, VPN, go. Uh, oh, my uh, virtual private network. What the heck does that mean? Um, it, it's actually no one protocol, but it, it's more a concept. And there are a number of ways that you could accomplish it. But basically, what a VPN is, is a way for you to use an insecure network like the Internet and make it private. And how do you do that? And you do that through encryption. And we won't go into detail because you could write a book about this and lots sure. of people have. <laughs> but basically, it's a way for you to set up a secure connection between your computer and another computer. And even if someone is watching the traffic, uh, they will not be able to make any sense out of it. Um, and this is pretty much recommended any time. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people make turnkey solutions, uh, you know, Cisco, uh, though now that's baked into uh, OS 10. But, but you can actually, you know, create your own. If, if you know, if you dig yep. around in the network, uh, you know, you can define a, uh, a secure tunnel, if you will. Um, it is it is one like one of the things I love about the the aforementioned firmware on those routers is it lets you very easily create uh, create one of these. Now, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit, John, on uh, mm -hmm. in implementation, common implementation. I agree with you. But in in strict definition, a VPN is not secure. It should be. Uh, you know, you're you're putting a lot at risk if it's not. But it does not have to be. Uh, you can definitely set up an insecure VPN. To me, it you know, in a kind of 10,000 foot view sense, what a VPN is, is a way when you're at home or you're at home, and but it could be your office. It could be anywhere. But let's say you're at home. You have mm -hmm. access to all the computers inside your house. Right. If you're if you're all on the same network. Right. You can see your printers. You can see. Uh, you know, your file server, you can see your TiVo, right? You know, you can see all that stuff because you're on the network. When you're out and about, you don't have access to that stuff. The most at, the most you can see and you have to have it turned on is the router, which is the kind of the thing that sits between your home network and the outside world. And sometimes you can't even see that the Apple routers uh, by default are not accessible from the outside world. What a VPN lets you do is it lets you. Act as though you are inside that network, even though you're outside it. Uh, and, and again, I mean, this can be used for a lot of different things. John, you mentioned the most common, which is a secure tunnel to get to a corporate network where then you can get to the email server and all that. But they're managing the security because they know that they've set up the VPN so you can only get in that way. But in general, it does not have to be secure. In fact, uh, I've, I've used it insecurely many times when I've had trouble getting um, security protocols to, to agree. No, well, no, no doubt about push, it. 
Well, the only pushback I'm going to give you is that then you shouldn't be calling it a VPN. The P in there means private and private P implies security. And I'm looking at definitions of it. So I'm going to push back on that one here. I disagree with you. You, you could certainly call something a tunnel yeah. or a road connection, but unless the data is somehow protected, you cannot call it a private. Well, but my network at home is private. Uh, and I use this because it is the term that you write point PPTP, which is point to point tunneling protocol is one of the VPN methods. And it's very possible to do PPTP without any security at all. Again, highly recommend you do the security. But the concept behind the VPN is that you're having you have external access to an otherwise unavailable uh group of resources that are that are segmented off of the the wide area network if you will um well you know what okay i'll i'll, uh, I'll <laughs> grudgingly agree with you so one aspect of it is that it makes you look as though you're part of a network that is remote that that that's right that's right and that can now be you handy. Can certainly Oh, absolutely. Uh, all right. right. You know, you might, well, could. A, a good example is the and I'm not going to rehash the story, but the story that I told about how I was able to come into my network, control my I, uh, my iMac, have it bring files off the TiVo and uh, and save them to my Dropbox while I was away. The only way that that was possible was by having a VPN. Now, I mean, there's other ways, but that's the method I used was I just hopped on the VPN and then it was just like I was here at home, which is actually really, really cool. Uh, you know, and if you travel a lot, that can be really handy. Uh, so, you know, but but go ahead. Sorry. OK, um, I'll agree with you. So so I think there are two major aspects. One is that it makes you appear to be part of a network that's far, far away, as if you plugged right into the router. Directly. That's right. Yep. Now, you'll typically get an IP address that makes you appear or it could be a non-routable. It doesn't really matter. Sure. But it, I, I'm with you is that it, to me, a VPN implies privacy, but you could certainly set it up and say, you know what? Don't use any encryption protocol. Yeah. It's a, bad, it's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea, and I don't <laughs> think it's considered private, but but I, I suppose one could certainly set up a VPN that uses absolutely no encryption. Right. Um, and, and you could still argue that the, you know, the connectivity aspect of it uh, still kind of makes it a VPN. Right. That's right. All right. All right. So that, that's VPN. Now, uh, SSH. Uh, you use this, this I, I do. more than so I, I do. I believe it's just secure shell, and the H is is uh, is simply the H in shell. Is that's what I always assumed it was. Uh, the idea is, if I want to connect to another resource securely, that well, SSH actually has a couple of different uses, right? Its its most basic use is to connect to a terminal session on another computer securely where you're not passing passwords or anything like that out in the clear, and you've got uh, a secure connection encrypted between you and the other computer. Uh, now, nor, but like I said, the most basic use of that is for a terminal session where you are typing, uh, you know, just like you're typing on your own terminal uh, in your, on your Mac, you can type on the terminal on another Mac and, and, uh, and do it that way. SSH can also be used to tunnel other things. And we're not going to go too deep down that path. But but you can you can use it for more than just typing uh, terminal commands. You can you can tunnel. I think there was a way of tunneling email over SSH. I mean, you can tunnel just about anything over SSH um, uh, file transfer. I think yeah. so. so it's, That's right. It's, a, That's it's right. a foundation for doing a lot of things um, mm -hmm. securely. Yeah, I've seen file transfer. I think you can set up a, a you know, a graphical 
you know, a, a GUI, you know, a remote uh, session, remote desktop session. Yep. And built on top of SSH, which I guess is the way you, you should do it. So you should. That's right. Yep. Yep. And I think you can do VPN over. I think there's I don't know. I, I've, I've never I, I'm not sure where the where the line is drawn there, whether it's technically SSH or not, when you've got an encrypted VPN connection, I guess it could be right. It's possible. I think it's different protocols. Or different it, standards. it might be. Yeah. All right. Uh, AFP going in Roland's order. Apple file protocol. This is the method by which you, when, when you mount a, another hard drive, uh, on your Mac, you know, if you've got someone that's uh, another Mac on your network, either sharing their hard drive or their user folder, or whatever, uh, Macs use AFP to, to connect, uh, that way. So you could, you know, again, you can use a lot of these, uh, uh, together. You could use, you could VPN into a network and then over the VPN use AFP to connect to one of the hard drives or, or shared resources in, internal to that network. Sure. Okay. Um, it used to be now. Now it's confusing because um, uh, now AFP runs over just to complicate things over TCP/IP. Right. It used to be, and they, these kind of intermingled. Is that Apple at one point had a you know somewhat proprietary uh, network protocol called Apple Talk. Well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, but but right now AFP is something that runs on top of TCP/IP. That did uh, didn't used to be the case. Right, right, right. Uh, FTP file transfer protocol. This is by uh, by its definition an insecure protocol for transferring simply transferring files uh, from one computer to another over the internet. You set up one as a server, one as a client and, uh, and you can, and then with the client you connect to the server and you can either put files up or get files down from the, uh, from the FTP server. It's very, very simple, very insecure. Uh, and for the most part, people don't use it anymore, but it's still somewhat common for again, you know, very public resources and, and frankly, things that are holdovers from 20 years ago. Do you use FTP anymore, John? I've seen some places when they offer files for download yeah. and you're in a browser, they'll switch over to FTP. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reason that you want to avoid FTP sometimes is it does something kind of crazy when you're setting up the connection is that it's always sitting on a certain port waiting for things to happen. But, um, you know, or someone to contact it saying, hi, you know, can you give me a file? But what happens is typically with FTP is then afterwards it'll negotiate a somewhat random port to, to do the actual data transfer. And this can get kind of squirrely through firewalls and, and other things. It's, it's been known to cause yeah, that's headaches. Right. That's right. Yeah. Most firewalls these days are smart enough to actively deal with that, but it, but it is something that needs to be written into every router and firewall to, to sort of accommodate this, this, this protocol. That's right. It used to be a big problem. It's, it, I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence of that recently, but I think that's because the firewall manufacturers have gotten smarter and people have stopped using FTP as, as much. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering, so we've gotten to the end of, of Roland's uh, list of acronyms. We, we have John, you and I built, you know, a, a much longer list of acronyms, uh, yeah, we can, let's touch on a couple of those, but, but I, I want to leave it up to you folks. What do you want to know? You know, this was kind of an interesting little thing. 
No one's ever really asked a question this way before, but, uh, but my, it certainly was informative to me to talk through this stuff. Hopefully that hopefully, you know, everybody got a little something out of it and maybe you learned something trying to try to, instead of just explaining the acronyms, just giving you real world examples of why you'd use this stuff. Uh, hopefully that, uh, that comes across well. So if there are other things that, uh, that you want to know about that you hear us mention and you say, hey, wait a minute, what, what, what is that? Just ask. And, uh, and we'll lump them all together and do another, you know, four or five in a, in a show. Is there any, any, any one or two, John, that you want to, you want to throw out there that we mention frequently enough that it's probably worth, uh, you know, clarifying right up front here and uh, up, up front, he says after five years of doing a show together, but you know, go ahead. There's one that I got to shake my fist about. Okay. And that's Mac. Yeah. That we, we definitely have to cover this one. Yeah. All right. I, I got to shake my fist. So what does Mac mean? Well, see, that's the problem here. If you're saying Mac is in capital M, capital A, capital C, that is called media access control. That's what that stands for. I think yep. That's what it stands for. What is that? You ask. This is a unique number or ID. So any device that's on a TCP IP network, uh, or it could be on another network, I guess, yeah. but it has a unique identifier that is, um, how many hex digits? One, two, three, 16. Eight. I think it's 16. Yeah. It's, it's, it's eight octets, right? Am I going to have that right? Uh, yeah, or 16 characters, 16 right. characters, right? 16 hexadecimal characters. Yes. Um, here's the thing. Every one of these is unique. Six, As you mentioned, six, Dave, six groups of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six groups, right? It, it's not, it's not eight. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve hexadecimal characters. I'm sorry. And you'll see these when you bring up, for example, the best way to, to see uh, what your Mac is. And, and you'll be using this um, on your Mac. And here's the confusion and then the, the, the fish shake. But for example, if you go into your network, um, you know, network system preference, um, probably the quickest way. So, for example, if you look at airport, Click on the advanced tab on the bottom uh, of that screen. It'll show you the airport ID. That is actually the MAC address of the airport interface. And here, yes, you're right. So it's uh, so typically the way they represent it is they'll have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12 um, characters. Each one of them could be from zero through F because we're talking hexadecimal. So you right. count all the way up to F. Zero, now, zero through nine and then a b c d e f and that f is the uh is the the greater f is greater than one right and, now and gang also greater than e what does this do for you what this does is that every device on the internet has a unique mac address or should <laughs> it's one way now there, there are ways to goof around and, and sure. duplicate it of course um but it's it's a way that that a, a router or other piece of equipment can can uniquely identify your device in addition to something like a TCP/IP address. Here's the fish shake. When I see folks use the word MAC when they're talking about the Macintosh, all caps. Yes. Yep. And I've seen this in emails. I've seen it from IT people. I've seen it from various folks saying, oh, dear Mac users, capital M-A-C. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yep. Don't do that. That's incorrect. We get it from, uh, in, it drives me crazy, but obviously we just let it go. Uh, I get it from ad agency uh, media buyers all the time. Oh, we want to target Mac users. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, we know what they mean, but, you know, it's always sort of funny. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. That's good. 
Here's here's a here's an insertion order. You know, buy the ads, pay up. You know, we'll 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 forgive you. Yeah, and it's a rudimentary way. They're not the best, but it is a way that you can use to secure. For example, it it, it is a, a one parameter you could use to secure a wireless network. Right. Or a wired network, for that matter. Uh, I've seen products that will do that. So you have a list of people that are cool. And if someone tries to plug into your network and, and the MAC address is not on the list of people that are allowed, it says, go, go away. I'm not even going to give you a connection. Yep. It, it is. It, it, I want to note that it is almost trivial to spoof a MAC address. And by spoof, I mean make your computers or make your devices MAC address appear to be something other than the one that was granted to it by the IEEE or whoever, you know, whoever it is that, 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 you know, doles these things out. Uh, and, and it, a timely mention uh, my, you know, I said, I have a, I have two routers. I have the one that I use and then I have the backup one that's already configured and ready to go. Well, it is configured to appear to have the same Mac address as my as my main router. And that way, uh, I don't have to worry about the cable modem getting confused if I swap these things out. I don't even need to restart the cable modem because as far as it's concerned, it's seeing the same device talking to it. Um, you know, again, I can't put them both on the same network. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what would happen. I think the space time continuum would rupture. But uh, <laughs> right. But but, you know, it is it is trivial. So from a security standpoint, it's helpful, but it's not the end all be all. You are, you cannot oh, be certain not. that it's you know, that it's uh, that two separate devices. It's not it's meant to be unique, but it's, you know, easy enough to change. Right now, one potential issue, I don't think there's as much of a problem as, uh, for example, IP version four. But um, if you're looking, so basically what you have is, um, you know, this is one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. eight, eight. So, so this is 48 bits of information. So basically you have two to the 48th possible values. You're probably not going to exhaust that space. Uh, um, the interesting thing, and I'll find this list, but here's one cool aspect of a MAC address. If you didn't know this, and you, I'm sure you know this, Dave, but just, just in case someone doesn't, the first several characters of the MAC address identify the vendor of the equipment. Yep. And they actually have to, there's the central group that hands these out. And, um, you know, Apple has a certain range and Cisco and IBM and everybody. Um, so, so it's kind of a, a, a way, assuming that it's accurate, where if you see, you know, strange traffic on your network, you may be able to at least identify at least who the vendor of the network interface is. Yeah, it can it can actually be really helpful to, you know, if you if you see something connected to your router and you're like, what what the heck is that? Well, at least you can, you know, narrow down. Oh, wait, that's made by TiVo. Oh, OK. I know what that is. You know. Yeah, because it's something like Wireshark or another tool. You can at the very lowest level see the MAC address of uh, anybody who's, uh, you know, chattering on the network. Right. Buried in one of the packets somewhere. Right. Cool. All right, that was my mini rant there. Yep. Capital M, small a C versus capital M, capital A, capital C. A little right. bit of difference. I think that's good on acronyms for today. But but you know, send us your list. We're happy to uh, to continue to go through this. So. Oh, there's some more. Uh, I got two more. Okay, go. Yeah, that's fine. T L A. Okay. That stands for three letter acronym. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what is that? I, I'm so I'm myopic today. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know what that is. And then you can make something that is a YABA compatible. YABA. YABA stands for yet another bloody acronym. Oh, very good. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Uh, next? Yeah. How are we doing on time here? 
Oh, man. Um, Manuel and maybe pick one other. I guess we I guess we'll do Manuel and Thad since we uh, we should loop that together since this is an episode about uh, that stuff. So, all right. Uh, let me pull this up here. We're changing the order. Everything's everything's falling apart. I'm still on four hours of sleep. Manuel You're says, right. what's that? You're doing right. Oh, good. Thanks, John. I appreciate the, uh, the support. Uh, Manuel says, uh, I've heard Dave say a few times last year. That from time to time, he does a nuke and pave. I ran into some trouble trying to clean up my system and thought this was the best thing for me. Uh, as an aside, the nuke and pave is when you format the drive, reinstall a fresh copy of OS ten, and then reinstall your apps and maybe, you know, copy some data over. Starting from scratch is the concept there. So uh, going on here with Manuel, he says, I have a time machine backup, reinstalled Snow Leopard, upgraded to the current Mac OS ten. Point six point three, then tried migration assistant to move to migrate over my music documents, pictures and movie directories. Migration assistant said the user account uh, with my name uh, that you are transferring has the same name as an existing account on your computer. The first time I tried this, I changed the account name uh, and put a one after it. The second time I tried this, I used the option to replace the existing user account with the one you're transferring after both times and over three hours. I see the folders on my computer, but it says that I don't have permissions to access the folder. What am I doing wrong? I can't seem to find anything on the issue, so I know it's me. Uh, okay, so uh, let's talk about this. So what what's happening when you install Snow Leopard, you have the option of using the migration assistant at at a very early stage in the process before it goes and creates any user accounts. If you are planning to use the migration assistant, this is the right time to do it. And the reason is exactly what Manuel is going through here, where you have a situation that you've already created the first user account. It's yours. And now you're trying to migrate other stuff in and, and there's some confusion. It's like, well, wait, you know, th this user account should exist. It shouldn't exist. Now, when it offers to replace the existing user, you shouldn't run into the issue that Manuel's running into. But uh, but I've seen that happen where it, it gets it gets confused is, a, is essentially what happens. Uh, the migration assistant can be used after install, but only if you want to pull individual things over. If you're going to replace user accounts, I think the right time to do that is right at install. But, uh, you know, you got other thoughts on this, John? Um, I've had one or two friends run into the same thing Okay, is that you either do it at the point of OS installation or yeah, you're going to experience grief or, or at the very least you're going to experience uh, the, cause I had uh, someone else, a friend of mine run into this as well. And it was a, a point they, they kind of didn't cover yeah. like, well, I tried migration assistant and, uh, and it didn't work. I'm like, well, when what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as I talked more then the detail was revealed, oh, well, you know, I, you know, install the OS and then did this and that and that. And then I came back later and ran and got migration assistant. I'm like, oh. So what you could do is if you don't want to run migration assistant when you install, but you intend to very shortly thereafter, when you set up your account, don't set up an account with the, the name that you're going to use. Don't, don't set up anything that's, that's sort of your main account. Then run migration assistant, suck over all your data into new accounts and then log into those new accounts and delete the original or set it up as your test account or something like that. There may be some minor issues where 
when the Mac creates users and when any Unix creates users, uh, it assigns them a user ID. So uh, if you're use, if you're the only user on your Mac, you are user five zero one. That's the first user created. Uh, and then five zero two and five zero three and, and all the way through for your, you know, login type users. Uh, so you might, you would be in a situation then where five Oh one, you went from being user five Oh one on the machine to now being five Oh two, because you've got this other user at five Oh one in theory, most things aren't going to have a problem with that where you're going to run into an issue is if you've got uh, stuff that's permissions based, if it's set to allow user five Oh one to access it, uh, then, you know, five Oh two can't see it. And, and where this would happen is, you know, when you, when you connect up a hard drive, uh, you can tell it to either ignore permissions on this volume or not. If you don't ignore permissions, then that's where you might have an issue. Very pretty rare use case, but but worth mentioning while we're while we're going through it. You didn't expect me to pull that out, did you, John? No, it was good. <laughs> I think I might collapse after this, but we're going we're going strong. Uh, okay, Thad writes. This is going to be a little crazy. How, how did we get here? Thad writes, I occasionally use my laptop as a web server over the internet. In order to do so, I had to set up the port forwarding or port mapping in my airport utility. Since I don't keep my laptop, laptop connected to the router all the time, it sometimes connects to my router using a different IP address than at other times. This breaks the port mapping that I set up. How do I force my laptop and other devices to always connect using the same internal IP address? Is it possible to have my laptop connect to the router using just the same IP address after it's connected, uh, if it's connected Ethernet or wirelessly? So uh, this is a two-part question. And the answer is absolutely. And there are two ways to go about this. Yep. And, and I think you had both of them, Dave. I don't know if you want to split them up. Oh, well, well, we'll talk about two of them. Yeah. Um, one, which I think is kind of the brute force caveman, you know, method. Um, well, I think the thing is that, is that there's, um, you know, there are ways uh, you can either manually set an IP address or dynamically. And those are the two major ways you can, you can set up an IP address. You can either have your computer de- decide what its IP address is going to be, or let the router decide what its IP address is going to be. Right. right. That that's where you should so keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So one, uh, so, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, at a high level define the, uh, I'm going to publish I'm going to publish this as a a Mac Geek Gab answers article so that all the all the instructions here will be will be on the Web and you can read them. We'll talk through it uh, like like John said at a high level here. But as far as the specifics, it's much simpler to read a list of instructions. And and that's why we created MGG answers. So this will be one of those. So go ahead. Right. So so the one way to do it, um, and this is how they did it in the old days, I guess, is that, you know, you had a router. It has an IP address. And then all the connected machines would have an IP address that was within a particular range. And, and in the bad old days, what you would do is you would either distribute a file that would have all this stuff in it, <clears throat> or you would set it manually. Um, the, the reason that that's a bad idea, I think, uh, maybe not for small networks, but for large networks, is that there's too much of a chance that there's going to be a conflict. See, if you give people the ability to set it, then they could set it wrong. It's like the inmates running the asylum, right? Instead of instead of the manager deciding what everybody's going to do, the inmates all decide, the computers all decide right. what they're going to do, right? And, and now here, yeah. now here's a situation where this really went wrong. And this was, 
um, in the workplace a number of years ago when we first got TCPIP. And, you know, they didn't really know any better. Um, so they would let everybody, you know, they, they give you an IP address. Okay, here's your IP address. It's 152. Whatever. Sure. And, you know, set that up in your uh, network control panel, your Windows machine or whatever. Here's where it went horribly wrong. Someone accidentally switched the IP address and the router address. Uh oh. Here's what, uh, and you can imagine what that, what happened there. See, when this person set their machine and they entered the address of the router as their IP address instead of their IP address, well, guess what? A lot of TCP IP networks get very upset if there are two devices with the uh, same IP address. And I think the end result of this is that all of the traffic in the building was now rushing into this person's machine because yeah. they thought it was the router. Right. <laughs> Or some of it went to one, some went to the other. Now, uh, nowadays, I think it's uh, it's handled a little better. And if you try to get an IP address that already exists, the the, the OS is going to come up and say, "Hey, uh, somebody already has this. You can't right. do that." Right. But in the battle days, it was possible. Um, but you're right on a, small, would, on a small home network, and certainly for what what Thad's looking to do, this is this is not an unacceptable way to do things. Um, yeah, if you can keep it in your head, or it's you know yeah. the, the number of machines you can count. Um, on your fingers or maybe your fingers and your toes or maybe just your fingers. I, I would say like under 10 machines, then you're probably okay. Right. Sending these manually and have a little list and just make sure. Um, uh, so that's kind of the caveman way, but it is prone to uh, error. Yeah, and so to that's set why it, it's better for small groups. To set it manually, in, again, we'll, we'll post the specifics because they're already written up. Uh, but, but in a nutshell, you're going to uh, system preferences, network, ethernet or airport, uh, and then instead of using set IP address on the TCP IP tab, instead of IP address, you know, using DHCP, you change it to manually. And then you have to fill out that information and you have to know what to type. Uh, and you can get yeah. some of that in different ways. But but uh, but we'll we'll sort of leave that as a as a as an exercise as you're reading through. Uh, yeah, so that's, and it's a pain, too. As it you're is. pointing out, Dave, you have to know all those values. Some you of them get you them right. have to. Uh, yeah, th- th- there's no close. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, this isn't this isn't horseshoes, nor is it hand grenades. Yeah, and and you could even get one of them maybe slightly wrong, like the subnet mask, and things may appear to work, but <laughs> but not always. Right. Um. So it's best left to a device on the network to do this thing, and that's where I will hand it over to you, Dave, because this. Uh, the other method of doing this, uh, in my opinion, is the much preferred way of doing it. I, I have to agree, and I'll, and then I'll disagree with both of us later, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I, I agree, and this is how I do things here, and it's great because uh, what you do is you go into the router, and the and Apple's routers now support this, um, as do many third parties, and you're setting up what's called a static DHCP assignment, or and uh, and so it or a DHCP reservation. Okay, and so what you do is you go into your airport utility or your router's config page uh, and uh, in the airport utility, you go to Internet DHCP and then you click and then under DHCP reservations, you click the plus sign to add a reservation. And here this is all tying together here, John, you go and you type the Mac address of the computer's interface, right? Either Ethernet or airport. Uh, And then you type the IP address that you want it to have. What this will do is two things. One, it'll make sure that the DHCP server doesn't assign that address to anything else and that it only assigns that address to that MAC address when it appears. Uh, So every time your computer connects to the network, you're set up for DHCP automatic. 
You can take that to a coffee shop. You can take it to a hotel. Your computer's config doesn't need to change regardless of where you are. And yet every time you're home, bam, you have the same IP address no matter what. Uh, and it's very, very handy. And it, and it works very, very well. Where the one problem with this uh, is that Thad wants to do something a little bit magical. Uh, he says he wants to have the same IP address when he's on Ethernet and on airport. And here's the thing. The Mac is totally fine with this. Uh, I did this for a while and it's, it's, it's actually pretty cool to see a file transfer going. You know, you're on Ethernet. You open up the airport menus, connect to an airport network. Then you unplug the Ethernet cable and the transfer continues and magically migrates over to the uh, to the airport connection. All the network hardware, you know, wireless routers, your Mac, everything just says, oh, yeah, OK, here we go. And it's totally fine. And that's really cool. Uh, so you can do that, but you can't do it with a reservation because at least any router I've ever used doesn't let you reserve the same IP address for multiple interfaces or multiple Mac addresses. So if you want to do that, you have to do a manual assignment. That's the, that's the only, uh, that's the only time I think that you should be doing manual assignments now. Uh, otherwise DHCP reservations are great. Unless of course you don't have access to the router if it's in a workplace or, you know, something like that. And then, and then manual assignments, the only way to go. How about now there's another way that the uh, the computer that wants the address can identify itself and uh, that this I've haven't personally used. Yeah, it's true, say, which is uh, and you'll see this field in your in your network uh, in the setup. Apple one. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there's something called the DHCP client ID. And it's mm -hmm. it's something that the user can type in um, and it accomplishes, huh. I think, the same thing is that it's something that should be unique. You know, I wonder if that would work if instead of setting the MAC address, you set the client ID in the airport router, mm. right? And then you set the same client ID for both Ethernet and airport on your computer. You might get the the holy grail there. You might get the same that IP was, address for either. That was my thought. Yeah. Multiple. Is that, yeah. Yeah. So rather than the MAC address, which, of course, is going to be different for every uh, thing, as we discussed before, I don't see why you couldn't make the client ID. Yeah. The oh, You'll have to experiment with that because you manage your network with a uh, with an airport uh, base station. So that, yeah. that's you got to you got to right. check that out and report back, man. That's good I'll have to buy more computers, though. Well, no, you just have the one. I mean, yeah, it only takes one computer to answer that question. Yeah. Oh, I can go switch between the interfaces. Yeah. yeah. That's all you got to do. Yeah. 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 So and, and that's nice because um, in environments that where I've uh, where they discourage static but, but the thing is, sometimes you have a need to have the same IP address, like yes. either in the, in the case that was mentioned here, or say you have a server on the corporate network or something, and you always, uh, though, you know, people really should be going to it by name, um, you know, they may want to go to it via IP address if, if they remember what it is. So, right. um, so this is a way to, uh, to assure that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I liked. I hadn't. I'd forgotten about the client ID. The airport router is the only one I've ever used that that does anything with that. So, uh, in oh, terms of the reservations, so yeah, you got to check that out, man. That's good. All right. Uh, I, I, we're not going to talk about any of it, but I'll mention it here uh, that I uh, have been experimenting with the AT and T three G microcells, and uh, and we'll talk about those in a future show. But uh, figured I'd throw it out there. If anybody has any questions or anything to add to that discussion, uh, throw it out there and uh, in the in the comments, or not the comments, but you could put it in the comments, sure. But you can also contact us. That's a perfect segue. 
Email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. You know the drill. Audio comments, text, pictures, screenshots. Uh, you can't send live animals via email, I don't think yet. And that's a good thing. So uh, none of those. Why would you want to send us live animals? Well, we don't want li- live animals. No. We're, we're, in fact, it's it, we like the fact that they can't be sent via email. Send some animals via well, well regular mail, regular mail, but not not email. We and we not we're not interested in sea monkeys, are we? No, we're way past that. We are. Oh, does that mean I have to say goodbye to Timmy and all his friends? <laughs> I don't think they live that long. What do you mean? They're just shrimp, aren't they? No, they're monkeys, John. You're ruining it for me. That's what they say on the box. <laughs> don't believe the box. Oh no. They don't wear little crowns either. Dashing all my dreams. Yeah, all right. So uh, you can call us uh, 206-666-GEEK. Which is 4335. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab. And, of course, the show notes will be at MacGeekGab.com. You can follow us on Twitter. uh, Twitter.com slash John F. Braun slash Dave Hamilton slash Pilot Pete slash Mac Geek Gab slash Mac Observer but not all together it's all twitter.com slash you know the drill yeah uh, Michael Johnston converts these to AAC he's the host of the We Have Communicators podcast and the bandwidth all comes from Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com thanks so much folks thank you so much for being premium subscribers and uh, we'll take it from there I guess while I was messing with my router, I got caught. Oh. Made up.